Welcome to Plan, Build, Equip, a Covalis podcast and your source for industry-leading insights and thought leadership about strategic planning, implementation, and more in the healthcare space. If you have a project to plan and build, questions will surely follow, and we deliver the answers. Welcome to this episode of Plan, Build, Equip, a Covalis podcast. I'm your host, Shelby Scarhawk. Today, we're discussing the importance of strategic planning for hospitals and navigating that for healthcare providers. For his expert take, I'm joined by Jerry Darby, Vice President of Cedric Advisory Services at Covalis. Jerry, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. So you've been in healthcare consulting for more than 30 years. You've helped hospitals and, and healthcare providers create objectives and goals for their long-term success. And, and you've seen many of these plans come true full fruition. So to begin, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you found your way to Cavalis. I understand that you began your career in healthcare as a pharmacist. Is that right? Yeah, I started, um, I have an undergraduate degree in pharmacy, so um, I spent my first six years in healthcare uh, doing everything actually from retail pharmacy to hospital pharmacy, home health, had the opportunity to really learn and, uh, you know, decide what I wanted to do through some, some interesting uh, projects and opportunities uh, as a pharmacist. So yeah, that that's how I got started and went to get my MBA after after that six years and from there started in the consulting business. So you know, with that, um, I guess before you began your consulting career, uh, you know, you had worked in a number of different uh, healthcare settings. Uh, what was, I guess, one of the most challenging scenarios you found yourself in, and in thinking about that, how could an outside perspective have, have really helped you with that scenario? Yeah. Uh, you know, um, as a, as a director of pharmacy and, and manager of home health and, you know, I jumped in, uh, to a, a pretty interesting situation in my, my first hospital pharmacy job. I was, um, I helped uh, Chicago Osteopathic Hospital right out of the bat. I, I had been working there and they came to me and said, you know, we need a new director of pharmacy. And I said, OK, I'll, I'll consider that. And they said, but we've lost our uh, controlled substance license mm. due to um, an issue in the hospital. So uh, as a 20, you know, four year old guy, I was um negotiating and working with the DEA to get our license back. And, you know, it, it was, it was uh, stressful, but it was also a great experience for me. And I think it's one of the things that led me to really want to be in more of the business side of healthcare and uh, working my, uh, working with clients, kind of supporting them in unique situations or situations that were really going to help them to have a better future. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> you never want to hear that, that, uh, you know, the controlled uh, substance license has been, it's been lost, that such a major facility would not have that capability. And you're, you're the one that's tasked with having to, uh, to do, you know, basically to, to, create that again. So that involves a lot of procedures, a lot of controls, a lot of things that were probably brand new for you. 
<laughs> yeah. No, I, I had no idea what to expect. And I think I think that's, um, you know, that's one of the things I've learned as a consultant is you need to be able to um, react and and to to really step back, take a take a view of, of where you are. Not not any situation is going to be the same. Everybody is a has a different situation. Um, I've worked a lot over the years in academic medical centers and and you know one of the things we always say is if you've worked in one academic medical center you've worked in one academic medical center because every one of them has different nuances different types of people different procedures that they're uh, really good at or or things that they may be um, known for in their community so um, it's just one of those things that uh, was a was a great experience for me and i think one of the things that i learned is you know there's no no challenge that you can't work your way through by getting through something like that so right <laughs> well uh you know you've been in healthcare consulting for more than 30 years now helping hospitals and healthcare providers uh create objectives and then goals for their long-term success and you've seen many of those um strategic plans come to full fruition. Uh, can you share some examples of strategic plans that have really stood the test of time? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I've, I've been lucky. I, you know, I've had great um, people to work with over my career that, you know, as, an, as a consultant, you, you come into um, opportunities um, really created by others. There's nobody that starts out and doesn't have other people that help them get into positions. So I was lucky enough to work with some really high-level people at um, my previous uh, company before joining Covalis. Um, and, uh, you know, they helped me get opportunities at places like um, Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, Mass General, um, University of Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, the, these, these projects, and I think one of the keys that I learned in all of those engagements was, and one of the reasons I decided to come to Covalis is that, um, if you, um, you know, you can create the best plan in the world, but if you really don't have a way of implementing that plan, a way of taking that plan to the next level, um, it's it's less likely to be successful. Um, the clients really need support not only in uh, creating the plan, but helping them come up with a way to make sure the plan is successful. And I had the opportunity, like for example, I was lucky enough to work directly with um, Kevin Mahoney at University of Pennsylvania Health System, who at that point wasn't the CEO and he's now the CEO and spent um, a, a significant amount of time there helping them um, develop what we then called the West Philadelphia Master Plan, which was a 10-year master planning um, process for not only the hospital, but for the entire West Philadelphia area and all of their facilities and services that they had. And that was, um, as Kevin says, it was amazing. We basically implemented everything in that plan over that 10-year period of time. Um, revisited it, you know, once in the middle, but was a really exciting project. And then they're at the point right now where um, part of what that plan was to get them to the point to be able to take down 
uh, an old building on one side of the street to really create the location for a replacement hospital, which they're now in the middle of um, finishing up a, uh, you know, a billion and a half dollar uh, new hospital across the street. So really successful. So if that strategic plan or that master plan hadn't been in place, uh, how complicated would that have process have been trying to uh, basically combine or well move an entire building and all the operations to another new brand new facility? Yeah, I mean, you know, really the enabling work that had to go into that was was figuring out how to get um, some services out of the way, get some pieces out of uh, a pickle out of the jar, so to speak, is what what we would call it, so that you can start moving the pieces around. It took some very hard decisions, uh, doing things like um, moving su- services uh, to their other hospital at Presbyterian. Um, these conversations were were really hard conversations, and obviously. Um, those were very tough decisions for them, but getting to the point where they could do that and create that opportunity was was a you know a really um, long um, effort. But it it was it was what it took was that longer range range vision which they did have um, to help to help get to that point. And that's the key there is that looking at the long term and and being able to have the ability to look at all of the pieces in a very conceptual way. And I think that's where probably an expert comes in, especially handy, because that's not that's not a natural skill to be able to plan for the minutest details, if that's even a word, <laughs> you know, that far in advance to be able to see the big picture and how that will affect uh, the hospital long term, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, the majority of the individuals at the at the hospital, I mean, their their role is is every day right in front of them, and they they aren't necessarily, you know, uh, doing the big picture planning, and you know, they aren't developers or people who build buildings or understand how to transition from one building to the next, and all of those things are are planning pieces and implementation pieces of that puzzle that. Um, that that are critical to being able to get to that next level and, and seeing that plan. And there's also a lot of flexibility that has to be involved. Very rarely can you do a plan that's a 10-year plan or a five-year plan and expect that after five years, you're still going to be pretty much on the same path. Um, a lot of things change. So not only creating the plan, but creating the flexibility within the plan to be able to adjust when something happens like COVID or uh, something else like that. If you're midway through a plan and COVID hits, um, you're going to have to readjust. There's no question. And there are things you're going to have to do um, to make sure that you can um, achieve what you need to achieve out of that plan. And maybe your goals have to change as, as throughout the process. So, Right. Well, and I, I want to come to, uh, I want to discuss uh, the planning for pandemics. Uh, but, you know, we, we mentioned the West Philadelphia master plan as uh, an example of a strategic plan that really t- stood the test of time. Uh, now, on the converse, and we don't have to name any names, but you know, what can you share some examples of strategic plans that didn't age well and kind of became outmoded because they didn't really see a, a game changer in their path on its way? 
there there are pl- plans and uh, always plans that you need to um, make adjustments for and and things that you need to do kind of going along the way. Um, most of the time, one of the issues that that people run into isn't necessarily that you know the plan um, wasn't wasn't the right plan. The plan was usually the right plan when it was uh, completed, but much more often. Um, it is it is an exterior factor like you're talking about um, that's going to happen. Either um, m- maybe one of your services um, that you have uh, been leaning on and think is going to grow, you know, your top two physicians leave. And then all of a sudden you're in a different position. Um, you need to backfill that volume somehow. And um, and and the key to being able to do that um, in, in my mind is is not only having the um, agility as an organization to be able to do that, but it's it's much more about um, as well having the agility to adjust your plan along the way from a physical and uh, operational perspective. Um, maybe reducing the size of that service and and having a backfill plan for that, or potentially um, adjusting the uh, operational input and how you're going to um, use that space with another service. So it sounds like the the plan that doesn't age well is the plan that literally sits on the shelf and isn't updated and revised along the way. Absolutely, and it's it's not updated or it, or it doesn't have um, the follow through the implementation, and that's one of the exciting things about Covalis that I've really um, you know that drove me to want to come and uh, work with with my colleagues there and. Um, you know, I had worked with Covalis and some of my other projects, some very complex projects, a children's memorial project in Chicago, where we literally um, did a plan to um, to move an entire children's hospital, and it ended up moving it downtown seven miles, and it is a 24-story children's hospital by the time it was all said and done, now known as Lurie Children's um, but uh, you know, working with Covalis was one of the one of the kind of more exciting and, and enjoyable things in my life because, or in my career, um, because we had not only the ability to do the planning up front, and, but we um, implemented the plan with an integrated team of strategists and operational planners with people who could help with the transition and help with the move and help with the operational implementation, the change management pieces that are required throughout the process. So um, it's it's really important to have that integrated plan from beginning to end. So within the healthcare industry, uh, when we talk about pandemics, I mean, uh, a lot of planning goes into it's a matter of when they happen, not if they happen. Um, so how have some of your your past strategic plans helped with the pandemic and and what lessons have you taken away from what what has worked really well and what companies can or you know hospitals, healthcare providers, what are some of the things that they need to be aware of? Yeah, so um, first and foremost, um, you know, there's a there's a give and take in in every one of these plans, especially when it involves infrastructure being developed in the future and um, 
and and a and a strategic plan that has buildings and and um, operations majorly impacted with them and and a lot of that comes with the give and take in um, your investment and so you know our you know back when I first started you know there was a you know it was really right at the point when we were trending toward helping people transition from multiple patient rooms to single patient rooms now nowadays that might not seem like a big thing but you know having all single patient rooms at this point in time is absolutely critical when you have um a airborne virus right you know you can't have patients in the same rooms with each other it completely change your changes your effective uh, occupancy and and all of those types of things. So, you know, I, obviously that was a really big deal to be be doing that. Um, other things like um, making making um, a facility so that it has the flexibility to be um, either all you know to be IC more ICU ready. Um, you know, their ratio of their ICU beds to their um, just regular acute patient care rooms you know, could be critical. The, the ways of um, changing airflows so that units can have either negative or positive airflow, depending on what you're looking for, um, to, to again, uh, slow the spread of the virus. Things like that were things that were really a big part of what was happening when I first started doing this. I think now, um, moving forward, I, I think those are fairly typical um, and it really comes down to how much money you're going to invest in those things, what percentage of your campus can be invested in those things um, that that allow you to understand, you know, at a potential we could have half of our patients that could be, um, you know, from a pandemic as we've seen now. Um, and so we need to make sure we have that percentage of our campus or more. Um, or maybe the entire campus to be able to accommodate those types of things. But I think more and more what's happening now is the technology piece. Um, you know, those things are what people make decisions around dollar-wise when they're investing in a, uh, in a project. Um, but I think in the future, it's much more about um, not even having to see a patient, but to be able to do things with telemedicine, to be able to do things with remote monitoring um, and not just remote monitoring outside the hospital, but remote monitoring um, within the hospital for all different types of services. So setting up a campus so that you actually can take care of patients or, or you know, evaluate patients um, from a distance without having anybody have to have to be exposed to anything is um, would be a great safety feature, obviously, for not only the doctors and nurses, but for everyone involved. So because then people don't have to travel and, and all of those things that are required. And then secondly, I think the other big piece of this from the technology side um, is really the transition between, and people have been talking about it from a, for a long time, but I don't think uh, healthcare has done a great job. And I think if you were to ask even the top CEOs, um, you know, are they consumer centric? Um, have they really viewed what they're doing operationally and physically and um, really oriented their entire operation around the consumer, making it a consumer centric versus how we're going to function 
as a hospital from our doctors and nurses perspectives. Now, that's a hard thing to do. Um, and, but I think, I think this pandemic is, is changing that and I, and it's going to create an opportunity probably for somebody outside of the major healthcare providers, um, to jump into the mix. You can see it happening with, with companies like Google partnering with Mayo Clinic and building a building right near Mayo Clinic in Rochester, you know, and bringing a, an office there. What are they really doing and what's their future goal with that? You know, I, I think only they and their partners can understand that right now. But in the long run, um, some of those companies um, that really love to have access to really large numbers of people realize healthcare is one of the ways they can do that. And uh, they are consumer centric. Those companies grew up having to be consumer centric. So I think it's going to change the way people view healthcare. And um, I'm not sure anybody really knows how that's going to go, but I think it's going to be a really big part of the planning and people are going to continue to um, look at that as a big piece in their strategic plans. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of my crystal ball question is, you know, what what would that look like? Because right now, you know, we had been, well, maybe not right now, during the the first wave uh, and possibly the second wave, uh, you know, it was really just down to brass tacks and getting, uh, you know, the minimum of um, consumers uh, taken care of. And really, it was just about, you know, crisis mode for patients and and healthcare workers. So it's a little hard to imagine what that more consumer friendly approach uh, could be. Yeah. And um, I think I think what it has done is it's created um, an environment where people are thinking outside of the box, you know, and how they can um, especially in the testing and the monitoring, home testing and home monitoring. I think things that we're getting tested for right now um, in in a hospital or having to go to a lab to draw blood, they uh, I can tell you for sure, having worked with a, some of the these technology companies and um, the lab companies, uh, they are looking at very different ways to do testing, different type of home, testing where they can actually even do uh, drawing of blood and so forth. And I think in, I think what people are going to realize is um, that's a huge advantage um, for something like what happened now. And, and to be honest, you know, everything has to be economical and it has to, we have to find a way for that. But what we realize now is the cost of something like a, this pandemic, um, not only to society, but to the healthcare organizations has been has been enormous. I mean, it's going to take mo most of these organizations years and years and years to make up for all of the um, procedures that they never did, for all of the um, you know patients that they were never really able to take care of, and you know their organizations were set up to take care of. Um, large numbers of patients and they had to focus just on the ones um, from the pandemic and they couldn't take care of the other ones because they weren't even allowed to come in. Right. So, uh, it's a it's a huge, huge impact. Um, I think it's going to take many years for a lot of these places to recover. They're going to have to change a lot of their plans. They're going to have to change how they're looking at their 
uh, facilities and their organizations may be spreading out some of their projects over a longer period of time because they may not be able to afford them right away. So it's going to be interesting to see the impact. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, as we uh, come to a close for this episode, uh, you, Jerry, if if uh, if you had your druthers, then as far as um, you know, what hospitals and healthcare providers can uh, do uh, to understand, I guess, the importance of strategic planning, uh, what would you say to them? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm I'm pretty biased in one way with strategic planning, and you know, I I love the big picture strategic plan just as much as uh, anyone else. But I've very much been involved in taking those big picture strategic plans and transitioning in them into something that's implementable and can be tracked and can be operationalized over a period of time. And it doesn't always mean that it's it's a building. It doesn't always mean that it's a major change, um, you know, to their structures or maybe buying another organization. But it it definitely means um, that they need to have the follow through and the ability to take that plan, um, revise it along the way, uh, make impacts to uh, their community, and and really set their goals that, to a point where um, the uh, all of the people supporting the plan really understand how to make it happen. And uh, that that takes a that takes a fully integrated plan, one that integrates as I as maybe it might sound repetitive, but uh, one that integrates uh, things like the change management internally, uh, that integrates uh, the transition from, uh, you know, maybe having all of your services in one location, but maybe next step is going to be reaching out farther into your community and and doing things within the community. Um, being open to uh, different levels of uh, support that may actually not mean in-person um, uh, uh, visits, you know, over a period of time and so forth. So um, the government's changing and the, and the payment structure's changing. And when you really look at these plans, um, you really do have to have to follow the money a little bit um, and how you're going to get paid for what you do in the future. And, you know, with uh, telemedicine and the changes that happen there, it's, it's, it's pretty drastic, you know, uh, being able to be paid for doing things across state lines, which was not, uh, you weren't able to do in the same way that we are now with telemedicine. So it's a, it's a major change and it will change. Um, it will change, uh, so much for so many of these organizations. They may have different competitors moving right into their environment who don't even have a site there because they can do things uh, over, um, you know, across state lines. So it's, it's going to be interesting. Just asking this as a consumer, do you think any of the telemedicine uh, leeway that's been afforded during the pandemic, is that going to go backwards or are we going to, is it here to stay for the most part, you think? I think once you let the cat out of the bag, you really can't go backwards. I don't know how they can take that and make it go backwards. I mean, if they change the regulations, yeah, it's going to be, it would be very difficult at this point, I think, to make it go backwards. They may shift them a little bit 
But I think some of the major things um, that they did will stay and they will be here to stay. And um, those who are flexible around that, those who are willing to take a little bit of a risk around that are probably going to be successful with it. Well, fantastic stuff. Well, that does it for this episode of Plan, Build, Equip. Covalis podcast. Jerry, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. And thank you listeners for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. Until next time, I'm Shelby Skirhawk. Mm-hmm.